This is Greg McBride for the Allendale Market Talk podcast. We are doing a quick intro for today's guest. Our guest today, Max Armstrong of This Week in Agribusiness. You know him from his radio uh, career with WGN for years and years. Max was is probably to date our biggest get for this this podcast. It's really exciting because when I heard that we were going to get a chance to interview Max, I got I got I immediately threw my hat in the ring. I said I want to do this one because this is a voice that I grew up listening to when I when I lived in with my parents and and was around the farm growing up. We had Max Armstrong, we had Orion Samuelson, we had Paul Harvey. They were all at specific times of the day, whether it was the noon update or uh, a pre, an early morning update, we were getting information about the markets or just news. And those voices, being from rural America, those were the voices we relied on to guide us through the markets. So it was exciting to uh, get a chance to sit down and talk to Max, uh, talk a little bit about his his early broadcasting career, where he's at now, and what he wants to do as he moves forward. And, and uh, uh, you know, his broadcast partner, Orion, has been doing this for oh, 50 or 60 years. Does Max see that for himself? Is he going to continue to go? Is this something – or – is he going to slow things down and he going is he going to start to just you know do a show from you know the Illinois State Fair or the Indiana State Fair just kind of talk to uh, to to producers that way uh, and maybe do remotes or is he still going to be the anchor of this week in agribusiness so i hope you enjoyed today's podcast this is Greg McBride hope you enjoy Max Armstrong thank you for joining us today i know you're a very very busy man out there it's it's great to have you on a pleasure to be on with you, sir. I appreciate the invitation. Now, Max, I, 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 I've been listening to you for, well, I don't want to make you feel old, but uh, quite a bit of my life. Uh, you, <laughs> you were always prevalent on, uh, on WGN when I was uh, listening at my grandparents' house, trying to, trying to get an idea. It was always, shh, shh quiet down. We got, we got to hear what, uh, what they're, what they're going to say about corn or, or beans. So, uh, it's, <laughs> it's been exciting to, to kind of get prepped for this, uh, uh, for this recording and you know one of the things i i kind of wanted to uh to to learn about you was how did you as a you know as a farm boy from from indiana take this route to get to be one of i guess one of the the iconic uh, agriculture uh, voices out there you know what i've been able to live my dream over all of these years i've just been so blessed because as a kid growing up on the farm sitting on the tractor out across the field I loved growing up on the farm, but I had this goal. I had in mind I wanted to be on the radio someday. And better yet, I wanted to be on the radio in Chicago. So to have that opportunity over all of the years that I was with WGN full time, uh, which was up until 10 years ago this week, and then to continue to do what we do, I serve a lot of small stations across the country with my broadcast still on WGN Radio with Orion Samuelson on Saturday morning and then hosting our television show. Again, it's uh, just the opportunity to live my dream. And the best part of it is working with the people of agriculture while still able to, to be a broadcaster. So, you know, as a kid, I would sit there in the old farmhouse playing radio in the closet, <laughs> reading the front page of the Evansville, Indiana newspaper as if I were on television or, or radio. And uh, it's just, uh, I guess, uh, an example of um, having a dream and uh, keeping your sights set on it and having the right doors open along the way. I, I count my blessings. 
Well, now who were the who were the voices that kind of led you down this path to 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 kind of inspire you to do what you're doing? Well, you know, we didn't have really a good, strong local farm broadcaster in southern Indiana when I was growing up. Uh, not of the style of Orion Samuelson or Keith Kirkpatrick in Des Moines. One of the closest might have been Bob Miller in Cincinnati, but that was that was a distant signal also. So, you know, I wanted to, I really uh, wanted to be a newsman. That that was my intent was to to be a radio newsman or a television newsman. And when in college at Purdue, I chased enough uh, fire trucks and ambulances and went to enough county commission meetings working at a local radio station in Lafayette, Indiana, that I decided eh, maybe there was something else other than being a newsman that I wanted to do. And so there was the opportunity then when I was getting ready to graduate from Purdue to go to work for the Illinois Farm Bureau and to handle broadcast relations there. So I spent a couple of years there before going to WGN. Well, that's that's one. I guess one of my one of my uh, favorite things about uh, well, we'll say about you, about uh, Orion, and about you know, uh, as I as I mentioned in our uh, in our uh, intro is is Paul Harvey. You all have these just legendary, iconic voices. You can I can hear your voice and know within a second who's talking. I don't have to have somebody introduce it. Where does that voice come from? Is that something that you were taught <laughs> when you were in school? Is that something that you just you've you've had it in you since you, you know, since you hit puberty and all of a sudden you've got this voice. You I, I how's that come up come about? Uh, you know, it's a it's a funny thing. I, I never even had a speech class in high school. We were in a small high school in southern Indiana. I think the total of the high school would have been about 200 altogether, and there wasn't even a speech course. But I knew that I wanted to be on the radio, and so I would practice. And truly, I would sit in the closet and practice. And and growing up in, in our community, too, we had a couple of very good pulpit ministers uh, mm -hmm. from whom I, I actually learned speaking skills by watching them, watching their use of gestures, uh, the way they made eye contact with the audience. And I think that had a profound effect on me, too. You know, some others have carved a different path by going through FFA. I did not, as it turned out. Uh, I grew up on the farm, but I wanted to work radio. So at the age of 16, I went to work at a radio station across in southern Illinois and started working there uh, during the summer and on the weekends when Dad didn't need me on, on the farm. <laughs> And, right. And you might find you might find this interesting, Greg. I never missed a day of Sunday school until I turned 16, got my driver's license and got my Federal Communications Commission license. Back in those days, you had to get a license from the government to work at a radio station to be there alone with the equipment, monitoring the transmitters and, and keeping the station on the air. So I got mine when I was 16. And Wow. I guess somebody might say that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here you all are all these years later, you're you're on This Week in Agribusiness. That's the show you've been on for, what, uh, 10 or 15 years now, right? You and Orion have done that show for this long? Orion and I actually started the show almost 14 years ago now. Yeah, we'll be uh, going into our 14th season. We were so blessed uh, to be able to do that after uh, Tribune Company, where we were doing the old television show, sold that show, and we started right up. Uh, with the help of some great sponsors who had been with us over the years who have continued to back us. And now we're not only on RFD TV every weekend, four times a weekend, but we're heard and viewed on about 120, actually more than 120 local television stations from uh, the California coast to the coast of Carolina. We have great uh, stations that carry us each weekend along with RFD. Well, and that brings me to, to my next question for you, Max, is you've broadcast from 
virtually everywhere. I mean, whether it's sea to shining sea here in the United States or you've gone overseas. I, I, how how does how is that received? Now, are those just you know radio broadcasts, or are you actually doing TV spots where you're talking to to local people in ag over overseas? How's that how's that it all work been, out for you? It would have been both. Actually, uh, in most instances, we were doing television, and then we piggybacked radio with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've, you're exactly right. And, and many of these were trade missions, uh, along with the U.S. Grains Council, for example, or soybean leadership, or accompanying a secretary of agriculture. But some of those destinations from which we originated broadcast were, were places that might surprise you. Uh, back uh, from Yugoslavia, for example, when it was still a communist nation. Uh, uh, from uh, oh uh, Algeria on the north uh, coast of Africa, uh, and that was right before the Islamic fundamentalists uh, really started their reign of terror back in the early 90s. There, and in fact, we were my cameraman and I were detained for a few minutes uh, on that trip. Oh, wow. uh, uh, just just a lot of interesting destinations from which we've originated the broadcast, and some of those gave us a real good insight into either our competitors in the production of grain or the end users who buy from us and how the relationships developed over the years. Because mm-hmm. that international travel started some, oh, 40 years ago that I started taking some of those trips, and at least 40 years ago. And so it, it, it's been interesting to go back to some of those countries and, and see some actually some of the same people that we met early on. So now you have you have an interesting, uh, you probably have an interesting take on how uh, the current trade uh uh, format is with uh, with all of the the balls in the air uh, trying to trying to figure out what we're doing with Mexico and what we're doing with China and the EU. What's your what's your take on all of it uh, uh, here today? Well, first I would simply say, from that perspective of having been on some of those trade missions and seeing the relationships established and seeing how difficult it was and and uh, and truly seeing trade built on relationships and knowing the effort put into it by the mm-hmm. Soybean Association, by the Grains Council, uh, Wheat Associates. It's been hard to watch the, the trade war developing because, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're roughing up some, some folks overseas by all means who've come to rely upon us as, as a very reliable supplier. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know, we have the history of knowing how that market, how that uh, production developed so dramatically in South America. It was after we had trade embargoes back in the 70s and 80s that uh, the Asian countries, of course, principally Japan, went in there and invested heavily and helped develop the ability of the South American producers to compete with us. It's hard to see that uh, in in your mind being unraveled. If If you've always known trade taking place the way we've seen it and the market share that was established over decades, that is a hard thing to watch. Watch we, what we've watched over the past year. And I, I, I say that from my personal perspective, but I think about the leaders, the ag leaders who were involved in trade discussions, who were involved from a standpoint of leadership of the Corn Growers Association or the Grains Council or whatever the group might be. They had a front row seat there and watching this and knowing the challenges of getting these trade channels established and now watching our market share for corn or soybeans, uh, specifically for soybeans, sliding away from what we had not that many months ago. And, right. and still, you know, I think many of us are, are behind our back, keeping our fingers crossed, saying, okay, the end game, the end game here may be worth the pain. But 
a lot of folks are wondering at the present time just how it's all going to shake out. And uh, knowing the importance of the export markets, what they mean to us as, as a United States agriculture industry, it, it's tough to watch. Right. Well, and, and, you know, being that you've been around this for, for so long and, and you've talked to so many different uh, people across the United States, across the, uh, across the world and, and been involved with all these different, uh, these different groups. What are the changes that, that you feel like are driving, uh, driving agriculture here uh, today is it is it all technology is it uh, is it pol- politics what what's making agriculture run today well all of the above i mean there are so many pressures of course that the producer has to respond to and and i guess that's that's one reason i urge producers to put around them the best team of trusted advisors they can possibly find and i i, I realize i may be digressing just a little bit here but Knowing all of those things that are in play, the politics, the economics, uh, the agronomic uh, challenges in a year such as this one, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's no producer who really can, can keep all those balls in play adequately. Or let me just say there are very few who can do it without some kind of trusted advisors. That's my personal opinion. The complexity of this business has increased so substantially. Uh, that you really need to have people that you can trust to rely on to give you guidance and uh, to help you when you're maybe starting to go down the wrong path. And I, I, I've talked to a lot of growers who've been able to do that, who've been able to identify that, that team around them, and it makes them so much stronger than they would be were they trying to wage the battle themselves. Well, I gotta, I gotta believe that uh, in in all your travels, uh, one of the m- most fun parts of uh, of doing what you do is actually getting out and meeting the producer, not just talking to the to to the various talking heads, the broker, the the insurance man, but actually talking to the producer themselves. What's the mindset out there of the producers that you've talked to recently? Are they feeling good about the way you know the way corn prices are going? Are they kind of down in the dumps with how how tough this spring has been as far as being able to to get planted on time? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's highly variable. It depends on that producer's individual situation. Sometimes this year, it, it depended upon the, the geography, as a matter of fact. Uh, I, You know, there's every month there's this producer sentiment uh, survey that comes out. And I, I guess I've always wondered about these a little bit. I, I, I think they tend to, well, I mean, you watch them get whipsawed from one month to the next, depending on what the market is doing at any one time. Right. And I mean, even... It, even the national surveys on uh, on consumer sentiment, you know, how's how's the consumer feeling? And of course, that drives so much of the retail uh, sector of the economy, which is so much of the economy of the United States today that they want to track that, they want to follow that. But sometimes I think when when we're at an extreme, it tends to feed on itself a little bit. And I I worry about this because I remember the 80s. I remember guys going into the coffee shop and listening to stories about how bad it was. And if you heard enough of that, and if you read the front page of the Des Moines Register enough in 1984, 85, 86, you were told every day that it was terrible, that it was bad. And even mm-hmm. if your situation maybe was not as bad as some who were in dire straits, you began to believe it. And it's kind of like a drought. When you get into dry weather in the summertime, dry weather begets dry weather. It tends to feed on itself, many meteorologists will tell you. Uh, it's kind of a similar thing when you get into rainy conditions. It mm-hmm. rains and rains, and sometimes that fosters even more rain, again, the weather folks will say. And I think sometimes uh, 
we 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 get a little too close to uh you know listening to other folks with their stories of woe and when when maybe we need to be surrounding ourselves <laughs> you know i i think back to the the days when, when my parents would tell me to stay out of the pool hall in town you know, <laughs> You know, we'd go after football practice. Some of us would go uptown in the evening before we'd head back out to the farm. And my mother and father did not want me in the pool hall. They they thought that was kind of a den of iniquity. There were guys gambling in there for heaven's sake. And uh, you know, those, some of those guys were not the the uh, cream of society. But I think you know what what happened back in the coffee shops of the '80s. People would go in there and. And truly, it was a it was a case of, hey, you think you've got a bad story? I can top that. And I think <laughs> we need to we need to remember in times like these to put ourselves around good, positive people. Again, people you trust, people you have a lot of confidence in. Uh, find ways to relieve your stress a little bit. I mean, we all go through that. For me, I, I put my fat ass on a bicycle, and I <laughs> obviously not nearly enough. But, <laughs> But I, I have a trail that I ride west of Chicago, and I have one that I ride in North Carolina. And the difference that it makes to get out there and get away from things for a few minutes, mm-hmm. yeah. just to clear your head a little bit, maybe listen to a few favorite tunes, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, I think, in times like these can make a difference. Plus, and, and I talked about this a little bit in a segment that we did last weekend in the studio, talking about patriotism and, and country music and faith with with a longtime radio announcer friend, Ramblin' Ray Stevens, who was uh, in, in country music in Chicago for many, many years and talk yep. radio too. And we, we were just talking about the fact that, you know, a lot of farmers, I think if they if they weren't in deep in their faith, I think would have really struggled this year and may continue to struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. But But I think for many, it is providing them some support along with the people that they can surround them with as well. It's a tough time. There's no doubt about it. And right. we need to kind of look out, look out after each other a little bit as well. I think in times like these. Well, as we, uh, as we start to, uh, to kind of wrap things up here, because I know you've got a, a, a prior engagement coming up in a few minutes. I, I, there are a couple of quick questions I want to ask. You've been doing this for a long time. Where do you go from here? What's the what's the next thing? How long do you continue to do this? Because you're, uh, I believe you're you're splitting time between you know the Chicago land area and North Carolina now, like you like you said about uh, riding your bike. So, where do you go from here, Max? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I've never had uh, you know I've never really had a strong set of goals except when I was a young man. I wanted to be in radio, and I've. I've been you got doing that, that and I you nailed it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and to touch on something we talked about earlier, Greg, I love being around farmers. I enjoy the association with them, mm-hmm. and uh, that's 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 why the outdoor farm shows are something that I enjoy so much, and and the vintage farm equipment shows, such as the big half century of progress that we have coming up. I helped start that show back in 2003, and it's become ragingly successful. This will be the ninth edition of it. Uh, this year, the show that is held every other year at uh, Rantoul at the old air base. And there are people there from all over the United States who, who I've come to know. And it's just a, a great circle of friends, most all of whom have some tie to agriculture, to be sure, and uh, deep roots in ag. And I just like being a part of the agriculture community. So I want to stay involved in some way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, I think I, <laughs> I may be rationalizing, but I like to say that this travel routine and the busy routine that I have and and appearing at events and speaking that sort of thing helps keep me young. It helps keep the the mind whatever well, mind. Well, keeps you on left. your toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, well, it, it, it keeps me going. Well, the 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 
one, half century one thing of, that you touched on. Good. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the half century of, of progress uh, uh, show I, I saw that uh, is coming up uh, next month. I know you've been heavily involved in that. Um, the what is 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 it just from the the absolute love of the the tractors and the and the farm? I mean, because I've seen. I, I I can't tell you I you know I've I've followed everything you've put on Twitter, but I every time you post a, a picture of of the the Farmall 560 uh, and you standing next to it or you driving it, I'm like, yep, I've been on that one before, not yours, but the one off of my farm. And <laughs> and I think to myself, you know, that was actually fun. I whether I was moving hay bales from one side of town to to the other, and you know, I'd see my friends or their parents on on the street in in Dixon. It was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, here I am just 11 or 12 years old, right? Driving through the streets and <laughs> it was always fun. Is that, is that what drives it? Is that the, because you, you enjoy that vintage uh, farm equipment that you, you've decided, you know what, this is a great, uh, a great opportunity to kind of bring everybody together and just kind of have a, a, a big positive uh, influence on everybody. I think three things come to mind there and you touched on it. Uh, uh, first and foremost, I think it helps me appreciate how far we've come and the agriculture industry with our technological advances. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm looking at that old Super H that my mom and dad took delivery of the same year they took delivery of me, and you, <laughs> you compare it with, you know, with the, uh, the high-tech uh, guidance, of course, and, and uh, the data collection and, and data usage in tractors and combines and sprayers today, it reminds me of the tremendous advances and the contributions that have been made by agricultural engineers and agronomists and others. Then secondly, I think, uh, you know, it, it takes us back to the days of our youth a little bit and it helps us remember and appreciate where we came from. And uh, the parents who helped get us here, you know, uh, mom and dad sacrificed mightily uh, to make it possible for my brother and I to go to college. They were sharecropping farmers there in southern Indiana and some not so great fields. There were some fields you could fall out of if you weren't careful. <laughs> and uh, and I think, it, it you know, it helps us to remember our past a little bit and to appreciate uh, the family members have gone on before us. And finally, I like to say that when we get together at these events, it may have been the tractors, the old tractors and the combines and the governments that brought us together originally. But I think for many of us, it's the people who keep us coming back. Some of the best friends I have in the world are farmers out across America who I've met at these shows. There's a California farmer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's got grapes and uh, and tree nuts on his farm. I love seeing the stuff that he posted. We got connected through the old tractors. And that's the same with a big farmer in northwest Ohio that I know, a couple of guys in deep southern Illinois, and, and so on. So that's kind of a, an encapsulation, I guess, Greg, of what's drawn me to the old tractors and kept me involved in, in not only collecting them, showing them, parading them, but uh, getting together with the people who owned them. So where where is your next appearance? Is it at that uh, uh, that show in Rantoul, or do, or do you have another parade that you're uh, you're going to jump into in between here and there? Actually, we have the I and I show, what is called the Historic Farm Days show, that is going on this week, and uh, that goes on uh, through the weekend at Penfield, Illinois, which is about ten miles away, eh, less than ten miles away from Rantoul. It's the same group of farmers putting it together. That's the neat thing about it, you know. It's, there's, for that big half century of progress, there'll be close to 100,000 people coming in there over four days, and there's nobody paid to put it on. It's, it's volunteers, it's farmers who donate their time and their resources to make it happen. So that's, that's looming big on the horizon. And then the big event right after that, of course, will be the Farm Progress Show, and that'll be the end of August, 
Uh, that'll be the, 20, the 27th through the 29th, I believe it is. Well, that's uh, fantastic. We'll wrap things up because I know you've got to get going. Max, every uh, every weekend, where can people find you? We're on RFD TV every weekend to check your local listings. Also for the individual television stations that carry us. And uh, also through the websites of uh, Farm Progress. You can, uh, whether it's Farm Futures or Prairie Farmer, Wisconsin Agriculturist, Delta Farm, Press, whatever the publication may be, you will see, I think, on the bar across the screen there at the top, uh, the ways that you can watch our television show or listen to my broadcast. Thank you, Max. I appreciate your time. If anybody wants to get a hold of us, we are allendale-inc.com on the internet. We are allendale underscore inc on Twitter, or you can call us at 800-2-MARKET. That's 800-262-7538. Have a great day. 